Today's episode is brought to you by restaurant.com. With restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100, never expire, and cost you a fraction of the face value. Dinner has never been easier with restaurant.com. Use for dine-in, takeout, or delivery. Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com slash podcast. That's www.restaurant.com slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase. Restaurant.com, the best deal every meal. Welcome to another episode of the So-Called Oreos podcast, the podcast where we discuss all the awkwardness, hardships, and hilarity that comes along with society labeling you white on the inside and black on the outside, also known as an Oreo. I'm Janae. I'm Kia. And I'm Amari. Gang, gang. So uh, how is everyone doing in this healthscape that we call the United States of America? Woo! (laughs) I find myself staring at walls a lot. (laughs) Like the ceiling, the bathroom, like it's Mm -hmm. just... All the different walls, huh? All the different walls in my apartment. I'm very familiar with them next time I'm sure they'll start talking to me at some point because I do literally feel like I'm going insane insane inside (laughs) yeah I I feel like the last couple weeks have been like super emotional I don't know if it's about the country though I mean that's just an addition but also I feel like I look super light with the spring light and I'm like I look pale (laughs) you do you look you look high yellow as hell I know it's my winter color. I love I love when people who are actually pale say they look pale, and it's like y'all are pale. <laughs> I'm bringing Janae into this. T- <laughs> you don't need to bring me into this, Amari. I, I, I thought you were talking about white people. I am not pale. This is my winter color. That's all. Amari's <laughs> face. <laughs> Uh, it I'm ain't a, even winter, guys. The sun is still out, and Kia's already given herself excuses for why she's first pale. of all. It's COVID, so I haven't been out as much. Second of all, it is cold. I think winter starts in October, in my opinion, in the Northeast. So what? Yeah, okay, that's mentally. That's Kia far. is deciding Men- how the seasons and whatever controls it. She. It is. It is October. <laughs> winter starts. On December first, it does December twenty second and fourteenth. None of y'all know. I do know. I'm just saying. We were talking about in our mental minds because in today's mental mind, December first, winter. Honestly, once Thanksgiving is over, I've literally had to remind myself that it's not Christmas movie season yet. Amari, you still need to stick to the Halloween terrorist. I wouldn't go as so far to say a terrorist. I would say I'm more like. Yeah, uh, holiday fairy, you know, just no. sprinkling joy everywhere I go. Uh, I cannot with holiday terrace. Uh, What's a holiday terrace? Nice. Like I've never heard. A this holiday terrace is someone who like puts on Christmas music November one, and you're just like calm the hell down. People who like that Christmas decorations are in the stores like before Halloween, like that type of terrorism, and it needs to be stopped. I didn't know terrorism could come in the form of joy. It it does. <laughs> it does. 
You know, I'm not a holiday. I do not like the obsessiveness with America and holidays. I don't care. I might sound like the Grinch, but it's just too much. It's too much. It's anxiety. It's a lie. It's like pressure to be happy all the time. I just don't like it. Why do I feel like I'm always in the middle of you two? You guys are always on like polar opposite ends of the fucking spectrum. And I'm always just like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't. But you really do take on the role of like... Well, guys, I feel like <laughs> I that's why I understand what you're saying, but I also understand what you're saying. <laughs> no, but Christmas wins every time. Oh, uh, no. Christmas is the best holiday. And it's not down. about it's not about, and it's not about the presents. It's not about spending all this money. It's just literally I just love the warm, cozy feeling I get when I just think about Christmas time and like being by the fireplace and everything's like moody, you know? I get sad. Wow. The day after. Moody. Why do we like moody things? Ew. It's moody in a good, like moody, like as in a vibe. Like, you know, like you got the fire going on, you got the pine, you got the stockings. It's just like a warm, cuddly feeling. Oof. (laughs) You know, Kay, I'm surprised. I thought you would like holidays a lot more. Um, I did. And then I realized, like, it's just too much. Like, the. Just like I just feel like it's always in your face and it's like, OK, I get it. It's the holiday. Like, why do we have to have 18 million holiday parties? Why do we have to have a bunch of Christmas stuff on the TV 24 seven? Why do we have to have Christmas songs playing in every goddamn place I walk to? It's just like calm, like everything needs a balance. And I just feel like when it's overloaded and like shoved in your face, it's like too much, kind of like the election. Like, I don't I get it. It's important. Don't keep pushing Trump in my face. Like, let's calm down. Let's everyone calm, like, take it down a notch. That's all. Christmas is nothing like the election. I don't know what you're saying. I'm saying that, like. As Kia's talking, the image in my head is literally Kia in a department store with a knife, just, like, stabbing I am not that, that. These these holiday balloons and just, like. I like the holidays. Inciting fear into just happy holiday goers. No, I'm, I'm happy if people are happy. I just feel like it seems almost forced. Like, it's a weird, like, you should be happy right now. You should be doing this right now. It's like. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Also, I, my birthday is around the holidays, and I just don't like how it's like entangled. In so we that. get to the root of it because we know <laughs> that Kia loves her birthday and thinks that it's very, very important. It also, and her Kia's birthday just mad is in December. Christmas no, is crouching on her birthday celebration. That's, that's, that's what this is about. That's <laughs> part of it. But also, it really is like I did love the holidays when I was younger. And then when I, I just felt like each year it's like, the world takes it up too much. Like the constant like Thanksgiving, Black Friday, it's like starting at noon and it's like, God damn, like Black Friday is another 24 hours from now. Like calm down. It's just, it's just too much in my face. Like if it was just sad back, I'd be like, cool. Yay holidays. But I just feel like it's just encroaching on like my personal space. Well, (laughs) I for one like holidays. I'm going to do my mediator thing that I do so prepare. You don't have to take my side. It's okay. No, it's Most not taking sides. Guys, guys, I'm not a medium ass bitch on purpose. I just really be medium all the time. Like for me, there is nothing that like. It's because you're in between the two fire signs. It's an extreme. Uh, what that means. We'll get into it on another Astrology. episode. But 
as of now, I just feel like I love the holidays. They make me think of my family. But then when like I read a story about an old lady getting punched in the face because of a Black Friday sale or like I go and it's like October 1st and there are snowmen in stores, I'm like, that's a little premature. We're just like, whatever. Live your life. Do you? I yeah, think no, that's the key. Like you can like choose to engage as much as you want. Yeah. Like it's Halloween, but I don't really, maybe it's just because we're stuck inside, but I don't feel like it's too much. Like when I want to watch a Halloween movie and think about Halloween and buy candy. Oh, I definitely like, think that's it. COVID. Cause I, Wait. Feel, I, I feel like that's COVID. How so? Like, but that's how I felt last year too. Oh, I, no, I, I was saying, I feel like it's not as much cause COVID cause we're not like going out. Oh. You know, you're not seeing stuff. Actually, I will say that this is the first year that I bought a decoration myself because usually my roommates are like, let's decorate, let's do something. And I'm like, I got other things to pay for. But this year I bought some mini pumpkin gourds. Ooh. Me too. First Do you year. hear some Trader's, Trader Joe's? My roommate did. And then I got some from Target. Trader Joe's also not an ad, guys, but they have these cute little... Um, cinnamon like spiced cinnamon broomsticks they have like Ooh. mini ones and they're like 99 cents i think i got five and put them in each corner of my apartment oh i do love holiday so food i love that's holiday a, that's food. a that's a different story so you though. love the holidays Kia. no i like okay. food that's, <laughs> my first love is food and my dog so <laughs> okay well i'm gonna go ahead and move us on <laughs> So, Kia, what's new in Black history this week? Okay, guys, <laughs> I got four Black history facts for you. Okay, October 22nd, 1950, Chuck Cooper, Nat Clifton, and Earl Lloyd became the first Black players in the NBA. I don't know if that's Nate or not. I think Nat. Okay, October 22nd, again, but this time in the year of 1953, Clarence S. Green became the first African-American certified in neurological surgery. And then we're going to October 24th, 1892, in New Orleans, 25,000 Black workers went on a strike. And that same day in the year of 1923, the Department of Labor said, 50 no 500,000 blacks had left the south in the preceding 12 months so i just you know wanted to give those stats because they're all related to career and that's what the episode's about so you know i just sprinkle some facts in there also i, I thought it was interesting how um the south was willing to lose like 500,000 workers just because of racism so well i feel like that's pretty on brand it is on brand but it's, i'm just like damn y'all y'all really don't y'all dumb yeah sorry <laughs> um but question about the the black workers who went on strike was it like across all industries or was it just like a specific company like a specific so, industry yeah so i did a little research on that it's actually um uh, they actually had a lot of white workers in that strike too. It was like the general strike of 1892 in New Orleans. It was actually mostly, I think I read um, like vehicle, like car industry. And they were fighting for like labor unions and like 10 hour work days and paid time or uh, what is it? Extra time offered. Yo, they're fighting for 10 hour work days. That's I know, a long I was, ass work day. That's a I know. Oh, well, I guess they were working like 12 or 14 hours and they that's, were like cut it down to 10. 
and they finally like eventually like they like they agreed and it was a whole thing where like the they didn't want to talk to the black workers only the white workers it was a thing but i didn't want to get all into it because i wanted to give you some other facts but yeah can we have an aside right quick to talk about how strong our ancestors are this will be a two-minute yes. aside straight up my mom has my mom is the pastor of like Harriet Tubman's church um, in Auburn. And she has these uh, books like these children's books. And it's like about Harriet Tubman's story. And you know how Harriet Tubman like was running through states for freedom. And she didn't do it once. She did it several times. Or even you just talking about these workers working, lobbying for 10 hour days when they were working 12 and 14 hour days, probably even 16 hour days, right? But we, our generation, I'm like, after working eight hours, I'm like, I'm done. Don't talk to me. And Don't I need, look at and me. And I need us to fight for even less. Yeah, I'm like, Amen. after four hours, you're pushing it. Like, honestly, <laughs> my thing is like, if you can do your best work in a concentrated period of time, why are you paying me more to just sit here and act like I'm working when we know I'm not. And I'm it's only exactly. in America. I feel like other countries good. in Europe, they don't like work that long. They don't. I was watching that dumbass show, Emily in Paris, which is dumb, but addictive. And they were like, the, the, the Parisians were like, we, you Americans, you, you, what, uh, you live to work, but here we work to live, which we should be working to live. We should be working to live. That's it. I should be able to go on vacation without COVID. I can't do that right now, but next year, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Amari, on to you. Tell us about the professionals that we love. Yes, yes. Uh, So this week, um, well, by the time this episode airs, it might be considered old news, but everyone, the Lakers recently won uh, the NBA championship. Uh, a lot of and a lot of that was due to LeBron James. I know there's debate whether he's the best in NBA history. I'm not going to enter that debate because I don't know enough. Um, but I just want to highlight him because he's accomplished a lot of incredible things on his short list of accomplishments um, are four NBA championships, four NBA most valuable MVP awards, four final MVP awards, and two Olympic gold medals. Uh, But personally, what I love most about LeBron is the work he does outside of basketball. You know, he has his own production company called Spring Hill Entertainment. He opened the I Promise School in Akron, Ohio, and he formed a voting rights group to protect African-American voting rights. Um, So he's he's an entrepreneur uh, and not just like looking to generate his own personal wealth, but like wealth of the community uh, under the guidance of social good. And I just like think that's something we can all admire. I mean, I will admit sometimes he does make some missteps um, like. okay, we all do. Yes. Like citing from books that he hasn't read. But um, I think he's a great professional. And he's also married to a black woman. I thought you were going to say that. Oh, (laughs) yes. I mean. That would be on brand for me. But yes, he is married to a black woman. Black love people. (laughs) I thought you were going to be like, and my favorite thing is that he's married to. That's something I would say because I'm messy, but I have to realize other people are more um, decent than I am. (laughs) Well, guys, this week's episode is about careers um, and jobs. I feel like we frequently talk like in our circle about like our first jobs, our experiences with them. So we figured that it might be like a good time to have an episode about that because I don't know, 
working in America, having a job as a young person is just like such a big part of your life. It's every damn day. And I personally know that I've like learned so much from my first job. So, you know, um, I pulled up a few stats that I also thought were interesting about young people, millennials specifically um, in jobs. So here they go. Um, 73% of millennials put in more than 40 hours a week, which I found this stat funny because I feel like everyone talks about how lazy millennials are. And then you read this stat of 73% of millennials put in more than 40 hours a week. Boomers shove it. Um, <laughs> next, less than 30% of millennials are engaged in their work. Once again, honestly, surprising yet not that surprising when the world is on fire how can you be engaged in your work i don't i don't know. think this is even about the world being on fire i think it's more so about the relationship between millennials and their employers and i think a lot of people mm -hmm. just have to take jobs that they don't want to take because they want to get into the industry or they're just not opportunity so they're just not engaged i don't think i honestly think that stat would be the same whether there's a pandemic or not Mm, mm. Um, um, and then the last one that I had was 62% of millennials are looking to switch jobs or are considering switching to freelance. So, yeah. So like Janae said, I mean, we're millennials. Most of this audience is millennials. So we are going to focus on millennials. Um, and we did ask you guys some questions that we'll go into later about how you feel about the workplace. But speaking of the pandemic, um, I was thinking I was reading or listening to a podcast about millennials and the pandemic. And of course, millennials, if you guys don't know what millennial is, um, average, that's anyone age 24 to 38 right now. And so they're the group that's most um, hit by the economic turmoil of the pandemic. According to the PE Research Center, 35% of Americans between the ages 18 and 29 and 30% of those ages between 30 and 49 say they or someone in their house has lost their job. And so I think um, that needs to be brought up because I think a lot of people, like Janae said, like shit on millennials, and it's just like we have had a lot of economic turmoil, and I and I know personally, and the people I know have been affected a lot, just like in the last couple of years of like the economy and like the jobs, and I I never rarely see like the people up top being affected that are older. It's it's very much millennials, and um, I was looking up what millennials what from their job and a lot of it is that they want to work for an organization that prioritizes a purpose as well as a profit and they're the first generation to use the word fun to describe their dream job um if millennials don't find an opportunity to move up the ladder in organization they'll just prefer to leave the job and they also expect open honest communication from their employer and they expect performance feedback to be given to them on a regular basis as they always want to see the results of their work faster um so I just thought that was interesting because I look at that and I'm like, yeah, I think that's all true. Like, I want my dream job to be fun. I expect my employer to be open and honest. Um, if I don't see opportunity, I am going to leave. And um, yeah, I just I think those are all fair things. Obviously, I'm biased, but I think millennials are like changing the workplace for the better. I think they I think some millennials are, but I do think depending on which industry you are in, they have gone a little too far where they try to create environments where the workplace is like it's molded into your home environment. And I think they do it in a way so that they keep you there. So like if if work is home, there's no need to go home. So we're going to like 
keep you here as much as possible and kind of like benefit from that. And those are coming from millennial companies. I mean, granted, I think it can be sort of more geared towards like tech. I think tech, but also that's because tech has a lot more money. Um, and going back on one thing that you had said, Kia, about um, that like millennials have had a lot of like economic turmoil, which I do agree with. But the one thing that I think um, I would say is like a buffer for millennials is that I feel like a lot of us have um, uh, a, a net, like a safety net. Well, not a lot of us, but some of us have a safety net that I don't think necessarily the older generation had. Like when I think of my parents and if they lost their jobs, like what would have happened to them versus like me? I know, like if anything happens, I have my parents to 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 fall back on. And I know that's not everyone's situation, but I do feel like. Um, I, I get that, but I also think that at like if you think about the same age as we are at 25, my parents are married and had a house. You know what I'm saying? Like there's other things too, like where, yes, it's a safety net, but not because we want to, but because we actually have to. And back in like 50 years ago, 25 year olds were getting married and had houses and could afford a house and they didn't have to go into like, they weren't a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt too. So I think there's other factors too, where it's like, yes, I mean, safety, but like debt school wasn't a million dollars and you couldn't, you didn't have to like sell your firstborn to get a house. You could do that at 25. Like those I mean, are also differences too. Yeah, I mean, I agree to a certain extent. I think, I mean, also, I grew up in a household where I watched my mom not be able to pay off her student debt until she was like 50. And granted, I know like there's a lot of people who are still paying off their student debt, but I don't like that was that was an open conversation I always had with my parents was like how much money they were still paying. Um, But I mean, like, I understand what you're saying. I, 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 yeah. I think the older generations, you could have a job without getting a four-year degree. That would still pay you like a living wage. I know my mom, for example, um, she had a associate's degree. She worked in health insurance and she made more than enough money to help support our household. And on top of that, because she worked for health insurance, we had banging health care. For most of my life, paying a copay for me is a relatively new thing. And I think like same thing with my dad. He was able to go out on a limb, start his own business. But before that, um, he worked as in corrections. Um, but then I look at my friend today, um, one of my best friends growing up who works in health insurance, doing a similar job to what my mom does. And she makes um, not a lot. So I, I think that our economy has changed. And I think that back in our parents' day, sounds weird, but I just think that you were able to get a job that would pay you a living wage. And I don't know what happened. Don't ask me to fax, but something happened and you can't do that anymore. So we just wanted to jump into this by asking some um, simple questions. So, um, so what did you guys think that like a job in media would be like starting off? I mean, obviously, I well, maybe it's not obvious for all of us, but we all went to school for media. So what did you guys think your first job in media would be like? Um, well, I like grew up watching a lot of films centered on writers. So <laughs> I had a very romanticized image of what going into like uh, media and news would be like just from watching movies like Almost Famous or like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I mean, Almost Famous was great. How to Lose a, ten, a Guy in 10 Days, not, not, 
absolutely <laughs> atrocious, unrealistic that journalists would have lost her job anyway. Yes. Um, so my idea of what it was going to be was really warped. And I think it didn't help, even though I'm grateful for the internship opportunities I had. Um, they were just like so nice and enjoyable that it kind of continued this idea I had in my head of like how easy and sort of like inviting this environment was going to be. Um, and even though I've been really lucky in my career where most of the environments I've walked into um, have been relatively inviting um, and encouraging and supportive, it just also was not as easy, breezy, or as glamorous as I thought it was going to be. Um, long hours, commuting, getting up, you know, dealing with disgruntled people on the internet for a living is not fun. <laughs> so just wasn't as nice as I thought. Um, yeah, I feel like we'll go the questions. It's like a journey um, of like our career. But for me, like I never really. Um, I don't want to say I guess I never had anything in high school that I really like enjoyed. It was always kind of like I'm doing this because my sister's doing this and like my parents just put us in the same thing. And like uh, I did like some honors classes, but never really was like smart enough to be like an AP honors kid or like, but I wasn't like an average CP kid. So I was just like floating all through high school, just like here. There was never really anything that like, I was like, I love this or good at. So when it was time to like apply to colleges, I literally didn't know what I was going to do. And my dad was just like, well, I'm sure you would like like broadcast media or entertainment. I was like, yeah, that'll work. And I literally just like applied <laughs> to school that had those programs. And I ended up at Montclair, which is my dad's school. And I do think it was an absolutely perfect school. I wouldn't change it for the world. And I think in college is the first time where like I really started to see my confidence grow. And within the first week of school, I, I joined the radio station and it was something that was a huge part of my identity. And it's very like important till this day. Um, and I had my show. It was something that was finally my like my own um, apart from like my sister and my high school. And I had really like thrived in that. I had like one of the only hip hop shows. It became like really popular and like um, like north jersey in terms of like hip-hop artists and so like a lot of hip-hop artists would come to me and be like i want to be on your show so it was very like impactful in that way um and from there i like got an internship at bt and then you know just kept thriving i got an internship at nbc like vh1 was my last one i like was just very proud of myself because I'm like, oh, I finally found like the thing that I'm like really good at. Like in high school, I didn't have any confidence. I didn't do anything. And like college was really like my four years like to shine. And I was like, I'm going to get a job before graduation because everyone was like, you're not going to get a job. You're not going to get a job. And I was like that. So I got <laughs> my job and I started two weeks before graduation. I thought it was going to be amazing. Like I was riding this high. And then like soon after I just realized on a scale of one to 10, I was prepared at like a two. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that for now. That's real as hell. Um, I can identify with both of you guys. I mean, I'm just now coming to terms with the fact that I am a busybody and I've actually always been a busybody. Was I an A student in high school? Hell no. I no, don't like to study. Don't like any of that. And I don't learn things easily or quickly. 
Um, but I've always been involved in a ton of stuff. Um, and because of that, I was asked to um, host a teen radio show where like teen, teen peers. Talk. Yep. Amari was in teen talk too. <laughs> um, <about> teen talk. <laughs> yeah. Where like teen peers um, interview people about like, I don't know, sex and drugs and eating disorders and, and all that stuff. Um, so that was kind of the moment that I realized I liked um, broadcast journalism. I didn't even know what it was at the time. Um, I ended up going to community college um, and basically described the radio show to a counselor. And she was like, okay, we'll put you in communications. And I was like, okay, whatever that is. Um, so from there, I just kind of like went about my journey and I ended up um, interning at like a big local news station. And honestly, I, I thought I was the shit. Um, and then I transferred to four-year school, Hofstra University, um, where I studied broadcast journalism, loved it, but also realized that everyone at Hofstra was just as much of an overachieving busybody as I was. So I had to step my cookies up before they crumbled. Um, so from there, I ended up just like here, interning at BET and having these great internships and great experiences and networking. And just like what Amari said, having this great internship and I'm like, yes, I'm going to get a job. It's going to be amazing. Just romanticizing what it was like to work in media and thinking that, you you know, I might drop my papers everywhere and spill coffee on my shirt, but I'll get I'll get the story. Yeah, like, I don't know. I just I just honestly thought that it would be so glamorous and fulfilling. Um, and then I landed my first job uh, two months after I graduated, which y'all I was going through it between the time of my last semester, basically the last month of my last semester and getting the job, I was like, I'm gonna be homeless. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have to spend the rest of my life in Syracuse. I was dramatic, so dramatic. But I was in a mad rush to get a job because I just, I was like, everyone else is gonna get a job and I'm not gonna get a job and I'm gonna die. <laughs> Which is so dumb, but just like Kia said, I got the job and I was not prepared at all. I thought it would be this cute romantic thing and it slapped me. Real life slapped me in the face. And I do want to say like for the all the if there's younger people listening like looking back I'm just like I did all that for like it was not worth doing all that. Like I was senior year like applying since February I was applying I got my interview in April and with the grace of God I got that job two weeks before graduation so not only did I spend a lot of my weekends applying to jobs I had missed out like on certain things senior year that I can't get back and my friends all enjoyed it I had not had a summer I was commuting two and a half hours from Washington to Brooklyn is insane two and a half hours on top of working nine hours so just do that math and I was that was my whole summer and I had not seen any of my friends I couldn't do anything I couldn't do anything weekends because I was tired I like couldn't even eat dinner because I had to wait for my mom to make it because I literally didn't have time and looking back I'm like wow I miss like some of senior year and my college to be like basically mentally abused at this company <laughs> so 
So just looking back, I'm like, I could have paused and it like it would have been fine. I want to to piggyback off of that because I just feel like every I feel like there's a theme of like feeling pressure to like get that job or like get that internship. And I felt that throughout my whole college experience, especially since I grew up my whole life saying I want to be a dentist um, and then to like shock my whole family and be like, guys, I'm going to be a writer. And everyone's just like, what the like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, so I felt a lot of pressure to like to confirm that I could get a job and make a living off of this. Um, but like Kia said, but like I rushed through my whole college experience. I, you know, I ended up getting like great internships at like parents magazine and stuff, but it, it, I just wish I had slowed down. And once I got that job after graduation, immediately my first thought was damn Amari, you should have taken a break. Like Same. you have, you have worked your, you have worked so hard for, for all these years, have not actually enjoyed your life. Like have not enjoyed any bit of your existence or of young adult life. And now wow. you're just going to go work for the rest of your fucking life. Same. Similarly to Kia, um, when I first got my job, I was commuting from Long Island to Brooklyn, which doesn't seem that long. But when you find out that there are like no trains that will get you from um, Hempstead to Williamsburg, it's like, girl, no. So it was a two hour commute. Um, I was living in a basement with a family friend. Um, and I, I just remember like being exhausted, not having any time, feeling like I don't even have time for myself because I'm not, I'm living in someone's house in a basement. There was one day where I was just crying on the phone to my parents and then someone came downstairs to do laundry. And it was just like, so it was it was definitely a that's tough kind of time. A, that's a movie. That's a movie moment, though. It's, you know? it's a, I'm sobbing, sitting on this hard futon, sobbing. My mom and dad like <laughs> someone comes down to put a load in the laundry machine. Damn, that's real. <laughs> that's real. Um, So what were some of your biggest struggles you faced at? your first jobs dude i don't i don't know i think that's too many to count i, I think i gotta i think i'm gonna let amari go because i was about to say let me go before either of you two okay yeah. i know i know your experience I like we can go in and okay. i feel like mine was um a little a lot more bearable than what you guys went through um but for my first job I would just think like my biggest complaints were sometimes not feeling ownership over the work I was given or like feeling like I was trusted enough to like know how to I was a social media producer and sometimes I I felt like maybe like I wasn't given enough responsibility or like trusted to be able to like make certain decisions and I think that was something um that annoyed me sometimes, but also like looking back, I'm like, Amari, this was your first job. This was your first foray into actual social media work. Before that, you just did it for your personal use. And it's much different being in charge of the social medias for a news organization than it is for your personal one. Um, and then I think also like just the biggest thing was um, 
I had grown up in Syracuse my whole life and I was convinced I was leaving. I was trying to join Janae in New York. Like that was, that was my goal. And then the only job I could find was in Syracuse. And I think it just felt like I kept on going from these environments that were all the same, like high school, just pure white people, college, just pure white people, work, just pure white people, white people confusing me with the only other black girl in the office. And that was just like, I just did not feel comfortable in some of these places. People would say things that annoyed me, you know, like I remember one coworker, there's this girl who, this black girl who lived in the building who would always walk her dog by the window. She's like, Amari, I swear this girl looks like you. She looks just like you. She's like, there she is. I look out this window, this damn girl. I'm sorry, gorgeous girl, 20 shades lighter than me, wavy long hair. I'm like, oh, white people are exhausting. I'm just like, we must, we must really be seeing through some very different lenses. And, and, and that may not sound big to people, but it's just like, y'all think I look like every black girl walking around, as my dad calls it, the average looking Negro. Y'all think we look the same. And it was just stupid stuff like that where it's just like, I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to deal with the microaggressions and then put a smile on my face. So those are my main concerns, my main complaints about my first job. I think that's real though. And I think that's fair. And it, yeah, it is. Um, it might sound minor, which is why they're microaggressions, but there's still aggressions and there's still things that white people don't want to deal with. And on top of that, it's just like black people have to deal with everything else. So you don't need to add more to our plate. So, you know, even if that sounds minor, it is not minor. Um, I don't even know where to start, Janae. I think we can piggyback each other because I feel like we probably have the same things. Um, I'm like trying to do a mental back to 2016 when I got this job. Um, yeah, it, it was a lot. So I didn't, this is my first job and I didn't know what to expect. Uh, and then it wasn't until my second job that I realized I was basically getting bullied at this job and this was very toxic. And I didn't know because... I would just mostly talk to Danae about it and she was experiencing the same thing. So I'm like, I guess this is common Kia. Um, and then I would talk to my other friends and then they like, they're like, no, this is really problematic. And I'm like, I don't know what to believe. Like it's my first job. Like maybe I'm just being dramatic, but like there's just a couple of things. Like I remember it was seven months into this job and I knew it was going to be a hard time adjusting, like whatever, it's a new job, but it got to the point where I had to sit down with my boss and be like, no one talks to me like no one talks to me here uh people leave me off emails uh, i have to beg to be in meetings like there was one time like my manager introduced me in a meeting and then i went like two weeks later and this guy was like oh we have a new person here and it's like what do you do in that situation you know what i'm saying and i just sat there like i don't, I don't know what to do like, how long had you had you been there by then months i feel like the key now would be like <laughs> six months but I, 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 like i don't know if it, it was definitely like a, it was more than a month and it was he had already introduced me and i just i think i just froze i was like what do you, that, that's like embarrassing like what do you do and like people just like constantly ignored me in meetings or like would only look at my boss who's um like the team was like this 30 year old 32 33 year old white guy and then me and like it would just be like I felt like they would just honestly not look at me in the meetings they would never they would leave me off emails like he would have to put me in every email and like I get that's like maybe the first month but it, it was seven months deep and I, I was honestly c c 
like considering like going to grad school at this point because I was like I don't even like this like I might just go to grad school for politics like just it's in it I, I told my boss I was like I'm honestly considering grad school like because he was in politics and he he actually was the one that was like no I don't think you need to do that um and I was just like okay like literally no one like acknowledges me and he's like oh it's just like it takes time for them to like get adjusted I'm like I've been here for seven months I'll literally never forget me and Kia met through a mutual friend Kia had been at the company for seven months already um and you know our first time meeting she was basically like so and I I think I may have even asked you like when do you start feeling comfortable Cause I think you had been there for seven months. I had been there for like a month and you were basically like, I don't know. And I was like, Oh (laughs) yeah. I I remember this day too, because I think we can bring up that day, that day uh, they had laid people off and Janae had literally found out the end of the day. I had found out. (laughs) So bro, 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 bro. I start this job. One, I was not prepared. I will say that as a journalist and a writer, I had a lot to learn. There were a lot of things that I did not know about my own craft. Put it out there. 100%, I'll own up to it. So I'm shitting the bed at this job. And on top of that, this company puts way too much on their staff because they are unstable, just point blank period. So me as an editorial assistant, I'm doing about five people's jobs and I'm sucking, sucking, doing terrible. So it's my first month. Everyone's somber. Everyone's quiet. I'm like, what's going on? Did someone die? I'm looking around like, what happened? Bro, a freelancer had to tell me that they were laying people off. My own team. A freelancer G-chatted me like, do you still work here? Just checking to see if your Gmail works. And I'm like, wait, what? What? So I'm like having an anxiety attack in the bathroom because I'm like, I'm shitting this job. I'm going to be next. And then it just so happened that me and Kia had set up our like introduce one on one. And I'm like, girl, did you know? (laughs) Yeah. And the only reason I had known a lot of things was because I was on the communications team. So obviously that team works a lot with like the CEO and corporate comms. And that was the only like time and even that like sometimes on the team like I would still be like just left out and like but that's honestly how I knew everything like my boss sat me down he was like they're they're laying people off today and I don't know that was just my first time like at a layoff and that was just brutal like to see like people's you know jobs being taken away and um there was just like even within my team like it was just like I just felt like I was always the outsider like just people would I guess try to include me but like not really or I would say something and they would just like kind of ignore it like I remember like the day of the election like we had a group chat and then I like I I had woken up to the news that Donald Trump was president I literally went to bed thinking this will be fine like Hillary Clinton will be president or whatever I wake up I read Twitter and I'm like the fuck I look at my ex-boyfriend I'm like wait what just happened he's like no Kia you won and I'm just like what the fuck so I text my the group chat and I was just wait, like this is your boyfriend at the time yeah how I'm I'm interested I know he's not American he wasn't he's not I was gonna say he wasn't American but he's not American well is he American he's a, he's uh yeah he's a citizen how was that experience waking up to a white man 
the day Donald Trump won because I couldn't look. I'm yes. sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't even look at my roommates. No, I get that. So I I don't know. It's interesting because like when I, I guess like he just registers in my mind. It's just like my boyfriend. But I did remember look, going on the bus and being like, I will fight every white person on this bitch. Like I was like ready to like throw hands. I like any white person dead ass. I was like, we can fight just because like I was ready to kill That's how I felt. everyone. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to go to work. It was like rough. I'm not even gonna lie. Like, and I think I was just cursing out white people to my boyfriend. Like, I think he's like used to that. Like he, like if you date me, I think you just know that's like the type of person I am. And like he, he never was like, he and not white people, not all white people. Like, you know, he was never like one of those annoying people. Like he knew he knew white people sucked. Like it's not a fucking surprise. Um, so I was just like pissed that day. Um, like I texted like my work group chat. I was like, honestly, it's going to be a really rough day for me today. Like and like none of those motherfuckers responded. And then the fucking white bitch on our team leaves work and she's like, it's too much for me. Bitch, <laughs> it's too much for you. I you need to go. You. She better. She should have gone up and draped up the 53% of white women that fucking voted for Donald Trump. Go I get was, your people. I was just like the audacity <laughs> for her to like, use this and like leave work and my black ass is sitting here on an all white team looking at everyone like if you look at me the wrong way it might be the, the day y'all have to kick me out this job like I was not having it and just the fact that she had like so, like literally came into work late sobbing all the stuff and then it was just like what the fuck and then I, I remember, bet everyone like, was like no are you okay yeah and and okay. Name, what's her name Christine no <laughs> no I just but I was like just so bad. That. And then we had to do like we we would watch the news a lot and um we watched like Trump's inauguration. And like I this was when uh I guess the Twitter algorithm was different, but like I was getting trolled on Twitter. Like it was pretty bad. Like I was getting like just constant trolling and it was obviously like very racist. And I was just like, wow guys, like I'm getting trolled on Twitter and they they just kind of like dismiss me or like just ignore me. And I'm like, no, it's like I'm if you actually read the comments it's like kind of serious um but yeah that was just that was just uh, um a couple things Janae I'll let you go because there's other things too but <laughs> um so my experience I will say that I've learned so many things from that company and so many things about how to dodge people and how to I don't know take responsibility and I don't know just be a proficient human being but the company structure is put in place for white people to succeed and do well. I think all companies are like that, but this one specifically, um, it was just very, very obvious from giddy up. I mean, for me, just culturally, things were different. I mean, my coworkers are going back and forth about you know, drinking beer together and um, different these different grunge rock bands. And I I can't relate. I can't tell you. Um, and I also think that I went into this kind of used to this might sound ridiculous, but used to being the popular kid. I've never had a hard time talking to people. I've never had a hard time making friends. So I was expecting going into this, making tons of friends and having tons of contacts and it being socially an easy time, but already 
feeling outcasted because I didn't think my journalistic skills were as sharp as other people. One, two, being overwhelmed by this job, this commute, just everything new. And then on top of that, not being able to relate to these people socially, it wore on me and I've never experienced anxiety in my life. Never, ever, ever. But for me, it got to the point where like, because there were, it was a millennial work environment. So there were a lot of parties, a lot of drinking. Um, And for me, it got to a point where like, until me and Kia became friends and actually after that too, if it was an event where it was just like my team or a broader event, I would make up an excuse to stay at my desk and not go Um, or, you know, say I have to be home early. Like I that was the most socially anxious I've ever been in my entire life. And I think we can segue into our next um, question from there. Do you think lack of diversity or race played a role in your struggles? And from there, I'll just go and say 100 percent. There were just so many situations that I was in where as a black person, I was like, is this right? Is this okay?" And I didn't know who to talk to about it. And at one point, there were only about two people of color on my team. And I was like, "Okay, so one of them I can talk to about these things. But then those people got let go eventually. So I'm finding myself as the only person of color on my team. Like someone said X, Y and Z to me. Is that right? this looks weird. Should we be putting this picture in this article of a person of color? You know, so there were just so many, I feel like little things that were so hard to grasp, but you knew that they were wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like you, I was the only person, I was the only person of color on my team and only black person and only black woman. So like all that at age 21 is like a lot to take on. Um, and like does <laughs> it does like I'm going to add in race, uh, sexism too because we need to hear black men talk about their work experiences and we need to get one on because every single time they're like these white folks want to cater to them and like th- like dap them up and be like yeah bro did you see the game and like try to be like that black like black men are cool <laughs> they did that shit too when they would like only put the black men on camera they would only give the black men opportunities and for so long at this company like i was so excited because i'm like oh they give like young people opportunity i would try to edit like do um a screen test i would ask constantly can i write for the the site i would pitch ideas i would do like everything in my power to do and like they basically just like shut me down with the quickest and like afterwards i'm realizing like that was really wrong and like you know the only time i actually got to do something was black history month (laughs) <laughs> that is the only time that, that is the only time that any of us were really asked to do anything yeah. like I, I even remember trying to do a screen test this was more recently in my career there trying to do a screen test um, signing up for it not getting any type of email back then my friend who works in the area where they do screen tests hits me up and is like hey um, I see that you're on the schedule for screen screen tests today. What time are you going? I'm like, absolutely no one told me about this. Then I have to reach out to the woman who gives me tons of attitude and doesn't even realize that I myself work at that company and sends me the address to the company like I don't work there. And I'm like, I saw you 
in the hallway earlier today. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. And like looking, even talking about this now, it just gets me so mad because I'm like, wow, I literally went up on top of doing my actual job, like went above and beyond to like pitch these great stories. And like, again, like the only time I ever got published was Black History Month because they thought it would look weird that we didn't have a person of color interviewing a famous person of color. And, you know, I, I remember exactly like March, I pitched another story dead quiet. Like the editors just literally didn't respond. until I got this white woman to like run up on them. Of course, when I told her about the issue and she ran up on them, they responded and they were like, Oh, we didn't, see, I don't know what lie, but it was just like, you guys could like, you're, this is just racism. Um, and like them like stealing like my idea for like just blatant stealing my idea like I have screenshots of like my idea and the thing they went with and I I even went to my boss I was like hey does this like look similar and he was like yeah this is the exact same pitch like and so I'm mad now because I'm like great you stole my pitch you didn't even tell me that you were took my pitch and now I gotta ask you and like confront you because like that's why fucking work like that you stole and so on top of like them stealing the work they they were not going to tell me about it we're not going to give me i still don't have credit till this day i don't even have a credit on that title it's just stolen and i asked them like hey like you know can i be involved in the project that i pitched the fact that i have to ask that but of course they're like yeah you can look at the edit in the edit bay of course i'm the only black person in the edit and the only black woman it's about black women's hair so i'm just like and I'll never forget the editor was just like, yeah, I'm not really sure like how to edit this because he was a white man editing a black <laughs> like a story about a black woman's hair. And I was just like, I can't believe that one, you guys stole this story from me and two, only put white people on this project. Um, that was another thing where I was just like, wow, this is just absolutely ridiculous. And the other time was when it was just like to the point where I realized that maybe this was like bullying is that my coworker was just like an actual bully and I have never dealt with bullying in my entire life. So I didn't really know again, what to expect. Is this just how coworkers talk to each other? But like, she would like, she was just, I don't even know. I literally have screenshots to this day. Like she just was straight up bullying me like on G chat and would just like be like, Hey, can you do this? Can you do this? And ask me to do her job. And like, I was just like, what the, what the hell? Like I, what and then I was just like I guess I'll do it because I'm an assistant and then I started pushing back and like one day I think it was like president's day we had off and like she was on vacation and she asked me to do something like 5 p.m on a Friday so obviously I didn't do it because I'm not you're not my boss and like I'm not gonna just be doing your work so then our boss emails us he's like hey is this done and she's she basically was like oh I asked her to do it whatever and I and I was like Oh, and then she said, um, oh, well, it's my holiday. I said, everyone in the company has off. It's not just your holiday. You entitled like piece of shit. So I told my boss, like, listen, I'm just not coming into work. Uh, you, you guys can go ahead and give me that day off or you can pay me for this day, because if you're going to ask me to do work on a paid holiday, it's just not going to happen. Like and so I was really proud of myself that I like stood up and like stood up against her because I was just like, I, you're not going to like have me working on a holiday and like this girl's not going to bully me anymore like what the fuck and what really pissed me off is that like I, I just didn't know my boss or the team was aware of this girl like I just thought like for two years I just like 
kept it to myself because I'm like, they're going to take her side because she's a white Jewish woman. They're just not going to believe me because they actually never do. And they hired, they promoted her. Uh, And that really pissed me off because our resumes like are on a completely different level. Like coming into the job, I had like three more internships than her. She just had interned at the company and her parents like paid for her apartment to move here from Florida. And like, it's just annoying because I'm just like, you can see the inequalities here. And like when I had my review, they were like, oh yeah, we want to promote you. But like, you have to speak more in like casual conversations. And I'm like, I do the job. Like, I just don't understand like why I have to do anything more. Like, I'm sorry, I can't connect. Like there are times, like Janae said, like they would be talking about things and I swear it sounded like another language. I had no idea what they were talking about. I am not from hipster Brooklyn in white shit. I don't know. Neither are they. They're all, none of those people are all transplants. Yeah, but they all live there. They all live there. So they're, they're equipped in this hipster culture, whatever. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't hang out with you guys on the weekend. Sorry. I don't think that's like a reason to punish me to not get a promotion. Well, I think the problem with just the, Sorry, guys. Clearly, I do not work at the same. Pl- I did not work at the same place as Kia and Janae, so I yeah, can't Amari, necessarily talk, talk about your the, experience to the same experiences. But I think the problem too is that, like, in the work culture environment, they expect you to play this game where it's like it really doesn't come down to sometimes whether you can do the job or not. It beco- it comes down to whether you're likable or not, and that's, that's a thousand really, percent. And that's really hard when you are a black woman and you are automatically have this kind of people it's really easy for people to have this idea about you you're either loud they either think you're not intelligent um they either think you're rude because you don't have a lot to say um about certain things or you just can't relate so there's already this culture barrier i mean for me at least um there was a lot of, there was a lack of diversity in my first job. And I think also because I lived in a city where there was like no black people around me, I just felt very isolated. Luckily I did have a work husband and he was like that white boy. That's like, yeah, white people suck. I know I'm a part of this. Like I will, like, we can like talk about it. Um, favorite person at that job. Um, but I think it was interesting too, because when I went to my new job, um, it was still a majority white company but at least the editorial team that I worked on um was was more diverse than the print side and I think it it kind of felt at least I felt more supported in that group but I mean it was still unfortunate because you still saw the different power structures like all of the editors not all the editors but like the top two editors were still white men um and then you know the the writer a lot of the writers were still white men and that was something that really bugged me is that there was like no like black like regular writers like on staff writers or like regular freelancers and that kind of was like annoying sometimes because it felt like we had to come up with a list like lists of people that we think should be writing for the site where it's like I'm not an editor like I it's not my job to go find these writers like it's really not that hard um but I thought it was nice for at least the group of female workers that we had was a very like mixed group and like we made sure to be very transparent with each other so when I went into like my negotiating my negotiating meetings someone was like this is how much I make you should be making this much. Um, so it was like nice to kind of like gauge what other people were making. I mean, luckily I also worked at a company where like um, my work was recognized. And after a year I was um, 
I was promoted to a, a nice position, but I think what was most unfortunate about that situation was that when I came, what I ended up believing the job making in all honesty should have been what I would have started at that company. I took a significant pay cut for that job because I was convinced that like I had to be in New York and work at a well-known publication in order to be anyone in my life. Um, and so I took a pay cut much less than I deserved. And within the month gave me a little raise because my boss recognized that like, oh yeah, I kind of do know what I'm doing. Um, and so like, that was kind of annoying to know that like I'm doing my job, but like, I'm also bringing a lot to this site and I'm not getting necessarily paid for. It. And it was, it, and it felt, you, you feel kind of shitty about it too, because like, I was so glad that the, the boss I ended up after I left the company who I had, like had recognized I had put in this work and I had, I added value. And like, we had hard data. Like I had data to show that I had done X, Y, and Z for the site and it was rewarded, but it was annoying too, because I'm like, I feel ungrateful that I'm not as grateful as I should be for this money because I know like, my salary should actually be more than what you're giving me now because I should have started with that to begin That's with. such a woman thing though. And, and I had to do that too, because like the only reason I'm glad you brought that up, like a coworker helping because like the only reason I got the raise the second time is honestly because my white manager had spoken to our boss and said, she does all this work. She deserves more than you guys are going to give her. And if honestly, if I didn't have him, I, I was not, I didn't know how to negotiate. I just thought these people hated me. And, and honestly, it was because him that I'd got that, raised and like with the bosses like I just didn't know how to navigate that and they had hired another white girl like after this other girl that was bullying me got promoted and basically like when she started our boss was like yeah watch out for that girl like she's super insecure and like basically knew she was bullying me the whole time and no one had said anything to me until this white girl like started and they kind of like was like watch out for her so they knew she was a bully and basically like only told the white girl to like watch out and I was just like wow you guys knew she was basically harassing me like for three years and instead of saying anything to me you promoted her even though you know she's toxic and I got to the point where like people would ask me like oh are you okay like do we have to bring in HR and like these are people on my team. So it was like well known at this point that this girl is like kind of crazy things where I'm like, so you guys are aware of the situation. And instead of coming to me as like an employer, or like a uh, coworker, you just let you kind of just saw me getting like harassed by her and just just let me out to dry. And just like the only reason I found out is because you wanted to protect this other right girl on the team. And like just even saying that right now, I'm just like, wow, that is super. That's a that shouldn't be illegal. Like that's that's fucked up. (laughs) It was I I had a similar experience, same company. And it's so funny because although Kia and I did different things, worked on different teams, we both were in very similar situations where we both had a bully and our bullies even had the same name, which is so ironic, hilarious and ridiculous. But they were completely two different white women, but they did the same shit. And it was funny because on my team, my bully, I guess you could say, she was very good at her job. So there was a reason why she was there. Um, And it wasn't until more people of color were put on my team that I found out that everyone knew about who she was, what she was doing, and how badly she treated people. It was me and one other kid, both of us, same age. She trained us both. And she was just nasty and terrible to the both of us. And it's ridiculous because on my team, you communicate over Slack like all the time. 
So it would just become this this mind fuck of hearing her loudly, hard type out a message and sigh. And then you get this bing because I don't know, something's not in title case or maybe you didn't ask her before you did something. Um, And it just created this this almost imprisonment to a point where you don't want to go to the bathroom because you're afraid that you're going to get a message while you're gone. You don't want to go out and get lunch because you're afraid that you're going to get a message while you're gone and you did something wrong. And this girl's going to go off on you and the people on your team don't like you already. Like that, that the first year and a half, two years for me at that job were mentally exhausting and I have never felt so weak honestly because you don't know like it's just it's your first job you're 21 22 you don't know and like again like I never dealt with the bully and like I like it also didn't help like this girl she would talk about how her parents were Trump supporters from Florida and I I don't I, I just feel like there has to be some like ingrained racism in you at that point like also like the privilege to just like go around at a liberal company and be like my my parents are trump supporters yeah. and like just like it's like bitch i will fight you and your parents and then like her parents came into the office guys i swear to god her parents came to the office like we're saying hi to everyone and she had already told us that her parents were trump supporter which i don't know why you did that and then brought your parents into the office so then like i shake her dad's hand and i'm like hi and like the mom is like just not even looking at me and so the dad like taps the mom and is like hey look at her co-worker like in front of my face and then the like i was like about to like reach out my hand to shake it and she like she was just like hi like like almost like she didn't want to touch my hand and I was just like, wow, her parents are like actually racist. Like just I and I was just like, I can't believe you brought them to this, like my work environment. And just like now I have to deal with on top of you, your parents, like just being racist. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And I'm just like, this is so problematic. And like, also, I just want to make a point that um, like for Janae and I, like it's not like obviously no one thinks we're lying but it's just like it also got to the point where like this company was so toxic that like there ended up being like a lawsuit and like a settlement check like it's you know and yeah and and that hit me too where i was like i'm not crazy like y'all are actually paying us out because you treated us so terribly yeah and that kind of takes us to the next thing of like what are some things that you learned from your experiences some takeaways you have because I know a big one for me is to kind of like trust my instincts. Because after, I don't know, my first week of being there, the guy who um, I worked with closely, we were the same age, we were both bullied by this girl. He was training me because that girl was out my first week. And he literally just looks at me and he's like, so people don't talk here? Cause I was just talking aloud and I thought he was cute. So I was kind of flirting with him and he was like, um, so if you have anything to say to someone, slack them. And it's like, I'm slacking people right next to me. And from there, it was like, my, oh my first God. thoughts were like, maybe this isn't a great environment, but I was like, it's a big name company. I'm here, you know, um, but it'll, it'll get better. Um, I think another takeaway that I 
took away <laughs> was to always have a job description and know your job description. Um, things got better for me. I got a few new sets of bosses because things were just churning in and out so much and layoffs were happening. Um but I kind of got to a point where I was just like, whatever, I'm gonna just be me. It's not that big of a deal. I started making friends of color outside of my department and stopped looking to be friends with the white people I worked with. Um, so things felt better and I felt more comfortable, but I was still having trouble moving upward because of the original things that I was struggling with that kind of just followed me. Um, and then on top of that, by the time I had moved past that, I didn't even really know my job description. I didn't know what that was. I, I wasn't, I was a part of the union, but I wasn't in touch with the union. So then I get a new boss come in and they're basically like, okay, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z to, to prove yourself um, that you're worthy and you haven't been doing stuff on your job description. And I'm like, but I never had a job description. And then they just whap, pull out this sheet of paper that I've never seen in my goddamn life. Um, and then that leads me to being laid off, asking for more money because I was doing work outside my title. And then my boss co completely lying about the work that I was doing outside of my title. So know your job description and stay on top of that. Um, and another thing is, as my dad would say, fuck them and feed them beans. I mean, I feel like we are really raised, especially as like millennials, to go in there and, and make friends and get to know people and network. Do your job, be nice to people, be cool, and go to fuck home. That's it. That's all. Okay? If you end up making friends there, if you end up going to karaoke, great. Good for you. Good. But that's a paycheck. Don't live for that shit. Because you're a name on a spreadsheet. You can get let go tomorrow ASAP. And that's not me being bitter. That's life, honey. That is, that's life for sure. And also don't let them like make you feel like you have to be best friends with them. Cause that's something I learned when they said that to my face. And I was just like, I was just about to give up. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to be friends with you. And if that's what it takes to be promoted, then I'd rather just not be promoted. Um, for me, my takeaways are like, I guess very similar to you, Janae. Um, my, next role whenever that will be if that's a thing um i will definitely ask for more money because because i got laid off at that first job going into the second job i just wanted a job that i liked and i worked really hard to get that job so i just accepted the first offer and looking back and talking to my white friend um i didn't I lowballed myself, but like at least 10 K and looking back, I wish I just never done that. Um, also for me, just like, I guess personally, like I, I did have like a little epiphany Saturday and then I realized that I really have no desire to be in media anymore. And I think for so long, I was just like, you know, everyone says it's hard to make in New York and media. And I just, I want to make it and I want to do this. And like my main goal for being in the media, especially in TV development is to like help black people have a voice. And I'm realizing that like in terms of development, that's um, super niche in New York. And that's, you know, they laid off the whole development team at my company and it's all in LA. So, you know, everyone keeps saying go to LA and I'm not going to sacrifice the friends and family I have in the Northeast to go to LA to be once again, laid off or shunned or anything. And I just don't think it's worth it. Um, I also think that like, 
making it in the media is not worth me constantly being like abused at work. <laughs> you know, like I, it's just not worth the emotional despair. And uh, like the greatest things that I look back at what I accomplished is like getting black interns at that company. And that's one of the greatest things. I'll always be proud of that because they constantly try to have me get these white interns and it might sound very minor, but I worked really hard to get all, you know, black interns or gay interns into that company. And I feel really proud about that. We're getting black local businesses to provide lunches and get them money. And that's always something that I pride myself on. So yeah, if I didn't get promoted, but I, I did this and that's what's important to me. Um, and so there's just things where I'm realizing like, what am I even doing in media anymore? Like if, even if I were to be in development, it would take years to climb that ladder. There's a lot of company politics. Even if I make it to the VP level, I might make some decisions in terms of like talent and black people, but that would take years. And I just think I could be more beneficial in another industry um, and working for myself rather than trying to climb this media toxic industry and even like prepping for this interview or this uh episode i'm just realizing there's just so many things that are super toxic uh in media and not just like our experience but like even these companies like constantly not paying freelancers or trying to not get people health care when they have millions and billions of dollars and that honestly doesn't sit well with me at all um it doesn't sit well with me that i would pursue and I, there's nothing i can do about that and i just know there's other you know corporations where i can or industries that i can be more beneficial to black people and they just don't treat people as terribly as they do in media and so like now, you know, it's been like almost three months since I've been laid off for the second time. And I, I'm just exhausted. You know, I'm just tired. I, I've it's one thing to do that, but it's another thing to do that the next year after during a pandemic, too. And it's just it's just mentally a lot. Um, and I just I'm starting to realize, like, maybe this is just maybe my purpose in life has changed. And I thought it was like media, but maybe, you know, my purpose is more so like helping black people in wellness or like helping black creators on a tech platform. Um, so that's just like a personal thing where I'm just like just very tired and trying to pivot uh, what the next steps are during this crisis. That is life. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's like tough because I feel like not tough um again my experiences while mixed are very different from Janae and Kia's and I think it's important too that I I, I want to like make sure our listeners know like I've had actually a pretty positive and I've been lucky to have been relatively positive um work environments where I feel supported. And I don't think it's coincidental that the work environment I felt most supported in happened to be diverse and it happened to be a team centered, a good core of the team centered around women, uh, half of us women of color. Um, I think that had a lot to do with how I felt about, I loved the people who I, the last job I had, I loved the people I worked with. And it's like, there's a way to just like keep the people and maybe ch change the work. I would be, I would be, um, I would be happier. But like, I think what I learned there was that I have more power than I allow myself to believe in that. Like, so when I got there, everyone, no one took like lunch breaks and it may not seem like a big thing, but to sit for like 
several hours in the same position, eat your lunch in front of a desk is not healthy. And so I just started taking walks like for an hour and, and other people started doing it. And I noticed this like little shift of war, like there was less pressure to be at our desk all the time. And then a lot of us, when I started going, when I started working there, I was afraid to talk because everyone was on Slack and I felt weird to hear my voice out loud. Or I felt like when I had to take a phone call, I had to like walk out to another room. And then I started, you know, like one day, like someone said something out loud to me. And then like, I started saying something out loud to my boss. And like, we started like talking to each other and like enjoying each other's company. And, um, you know, some of my teammates and team members and I would like, we had a monthly drinks that we would go and get a drink at like a neighboring place. And it was just the girls. Um, and it just felt really good and supportive. And so I think like in that, I was like, okay, like maybe all my big change, all my changes here, like won't be big, but like, maybe I can like in some small ways, like help shift the culture. Um, and I also realized that like, and I think you can take this for any job is really like, don't wait for people to give you work. Um, in my job, I was like bored sometimes. And so I would just like go experiment. And like, one of the things I was most proud with at my other job was that like, I was able to build a decent uh, community on Reddit. And like, I was able to transfer just like the activity I was doing on Reddit to like the site and like gain us more audience. And that was just something I did. No one asked me to do it. I just did it on my free time and was like, I wonder if we can get more of a, like more people from Reddit. Um, and so I think that was, that was cool for me. So it was like, okay, like don't wait for people to tell you what to do, just like experiment. And I think that was honestly what got me my raise and my promotion was that I was able to tap into something that we hadn't done before and no one had to tell me to do it. And it was just like, you know, I knew coming into the job that I could do the job, but I think it was just like, I don't know, like cool and surprising to myself that like I knew what I was doing more than I necessarily thought I would, I was. Um, But yeah, those are just some small things um, I walked away from my job experience. I think that's super important, though, like changing the company culture and like you do have the ability to change the company culture because when looking back, that's ridiculous that you can't fucking talk at your job like that. You should change that culture. And I think another thing I would tell people is that, you know, we're all wrapped up in titles and big jobs and all this stuff. But like the most important thing I think is like, is the company culture and like, you can have a nice title and you could do all this stuff. But if you walk into a company every day and you fucking hate these people and you hate this culture, you're going to be miserable regardless if you're making a hundred K or 30 K. So I just think I always try to tell people who reach out to me, like that's, that's super important. So we put out a couple questions on Instagram, got a couple of responses. And so first question I asked was, how have you felt about your career so far? And our two main responses were, this is kind of sad, but I get it. What career? It's create your own platform with corporate jobs with underpaid wages, which is very true. Like when I, I had to freelance when I, when I moved, it was, it was sucky because like, uh, when I was in Syracuse, I didn't necessarily feel like I need to freelance because I was being paid a decent amount of money and uh, cost of living was low as shit. So I didn't need to do any extra work. I moved to New York. I'm going to be honest, guys. I was paid like 35 K you can like, you can't live off of that shit. Oh my God. I mean, you can't live off of that shit, but you shouldn't have to live off of that shit in New York city. Um, 
And I couldn't necessarily freelance as much as I wanted to because of, you know, like roles within the company, but I I needed money. Uh, So I I definitely feel it's like you have to keep hustling to kind of be able to afford certain things. And it's also very unfair when you think of the concentration of certain industries in certain places like Silicon Valley. That is expensive to live there and you don't necessarily get paid enough to live in those spaces. Media, New York, L.A., again, there, you know, I feel like the cost of living should increase your pay. Um, And another person said stifled. And I think people can just uh, relate to that in like, is there any upward mobility in these companies that we're working with? Um, And then the second question was, what challenges have you come across during your career? And someone said, no's to hiring for positions and no's to getting promoted, overlooked in career potential. Feel that. Yes. Um, and also getting recognized for hard work and having a hard time speaking up. I think that's definitely something, especially when, especially I think too, when you're in work environments where you don't necessarily have, um, like if you, I think it's important, at least if you don't feel supported by like the overall environment, you at least have that one person who can be your advocate or like your supporter. And I think that's, I've been lucky in that, like my first job, I had a few advocates. Um, I had a main one, but I had a few. And then in my last job, I felt like most people around me were, were my advocates, or at least if they weren't like, you know, pushing for, no, I think they were, yeah, they were pushing for the promotions. So I think I, I've been lucky in those situations, but I totally understand, um, feeling like you're in an environment that's not necessarily open to you um yeah so on twitter i asked if you are a millennial do you feel hopeful in your career why or why not a couple of responses someone said they are 28 accounting industry doing okay but i'll have to take a major dip before advancing i got really lucky when i got an internship turned job opportunity right out of college um i responded just said 28 at 28, you still have a lot of, to accomplish. The next response was, nope, I'll be 28 in a couple of months and don't even know what or who I want to be. I've been an insurance agent for the past four years. It's good money. Don't get me wrong. But no way is what I want my life based on. And I also said 28, it's still young and you have time to switch path. Um, you're also so much more than your job. And I think that's important because I think, again, we get wrapped up in titles. And the first thing, if I go up to one of you guys and I say, you know, who are you? Introduce yourself. I'm sure both of you would like list off your job or something. And I think I was reading how we need to start changing that because I don't want someone to be like, Kia is just known for being a talent assistant. I'm not going to be a talent assistant my whole life. And I don't want you to, you know, people just to talk to me because I work in, you know, talent. Um, I want to be so much more than that. I am so much more than that. And I'm, I'm trying to like shift, you know, more than titles. Like, um, so I think that's more important for us to realize that we're not just wrapped up into these job titles. Uh, the last response was at the age of 30, bustling my busting my ass in my career since 22 i'm finally feeling like hard work is paying off and i think all these responses just show like the stats that we said in the beginning of the episode about how millennials feel in their career um and it just seems like it's a rough time but we will get through it guys i am positive (laughs) janae you ready for the shits yeah i was trying to unmute my microphone um so today yesterday a few days ago um, Cami, twelve seventeen. Thank you 
for asking a question. But they said, my fam is driving me crazy during this pandemic at times. Dot, dot, dot. Help. <laughs> Damn. I'm guessing she lives with them. I, I mean, yeah, I'm guessing that's all that was put there. Um, I honestly, I would say find a hobby um, and get used to taking long walks. Get a warm she might jacket. Live, yeah, let's say she might live in the Northeast. Get, get a warm jacket. Um, something that, because, you know, as, as we've talked about so many times, the three of us were able to move back home for a little while during like the worst parts of the pandemic. And my family love them to death. But, you know, my mom wakes up at the crack of dawn and loves to walk around the house talking about Jesus. My dad don't like to wash no dishes. And, you know, Jesus it, and dishes, <laughs> Jesus and dishes. That's that's what we're dealing with all the time. <laughs> um, and I think a good out for me was just like, I'm going to go for a bike ride. Um, I also had therapy. So that was like a nice out. I could hang out with my sister or um, like go to my brother's house and hang out with him and um, my niece or even do paint pours with my mom, which was just something that she and I could do together. And just, I don't know, talk about the glittery things in life that we like. Um, So my advice for you is just to find something that can distract you um, from it all. And also um, draw boundaries with your family as much as you possibly can um if they're doing something that you know could be a little bit unnecessary um or unfair to you um gauge that with what you will maybe it's time to speak up and say something and say hey guys none of us can go outside as much anymore and dad you singing opera at midnight is not really good for me because I'm trying to sleep now. So, you know, draw boundaries, get outside. Yeah, I I would say also if you can meditate, that might be helpful to mindfulness and gratitude. And, um, you know, being with parents is annoying, but then you're like, you know, hey, maybe I'm lucky to have a job. Maybe I'm lucky to see my dog. Maybe I'm lucky no one in my family has died from COVID, you know. Um, So always being mindful and gratitude is, you know, one of the easiest ways to boost, um, be on that higher frequency. Um, Again, like Janae said, if you can like distance yourself, like physically distance yourself from your parents. So honestly, that means being locked in your room for a little bit show be it if you got a car and it's cold put that heat on just take a drive uh i always look forward to food uh i think about food 24 7 and at like some days i'll just be like i'm looking forward to this dinner that always helps me i don't know might help you uh, get away from your parents and look forward to food i don't know seems like a win-win to me um also a hobby is also super good and I'm trying to think because I'm like, yeah, parents are annoying and it sucks because you can't be like, do the dishes in their house. But yeah, I wish you could. Um, yeah. And also FaceTime a friend, you know, or maybe you can go out and see a friend socially distance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, always look forward to one thing during the day. I yeah. think that gets me through that personally because my life is a wreck. But I always look forward to like one thing again. Most of the time that is food, but it has helped. Yeah, 
Um, Amari, did you have anything to add? Nothing really positive. So, I mean, Amari, burn the house down. On, I mean, like, on, like, sometimes, I, I mean, like, honest, like, yes, gratitude and meditation, it's important, it's helpful, but also, like, feel your fucking emotions sometimes. Like, if your parents are fucking annoying you, like, let them know, like, you could do both. <laughs> X, Y, and Z is like annoying me or something. I feel like sometimes I feel like I personally feel guilty when I get mad at my parents and, uh, I feel like sometimes when I stifle that in, it comes out in uh, not so good ways. And then it's just like one big mess. And I don't even know if this, if this is with the with your parents or it's with other family members. I just think like whatever you're feeling, like feel it and also give yourself grace. Like it's a fucking shitty time. Uh, things are hard. I've been personally like struggling with like feeling motivated and like getting out of bed in the morning, like I also have family things like, you know, like, I feel like I don't know how to help you, but I feel like if you're feeling whatever you're feeling, just like go with your emotions, like allow them to lead you where they need to lead you for a second. And then like, you can also listen to music too. That's one way to express, you know, your emotion. If you can't just like straight up talk to your parent, because I I'm assuming she's black and I just know we all know black parents. Sometimes they're just shit. You know, they won't allow you to stay. Uh, So like maybe if there's a way you can avoid like certain um, topics, like, you know, if, if your dad is always bringing up homophobic stuff, like maybe just try to like cut that conversation off. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Follow us on all social media at so-called Oreos. And you can email us at so-called Oreos at gmail.com. Also, fill out the survey. It's not new, but we want to help you. We want to put out content that y'all are passionate about. So fill out the damn survey. Um, you can also listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. And please remember to like, rate, and subscribe. Leave a review. Until then, bye. Bye.